Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We are in uh, our sixth part of our Unstuck series, and so we want to, I don't see Nat right here, but everybody give Nat a hand anyway, even though he's not here, he's... uh, um, he did a great job last week filling in uh, for, for me, even though I was here and sitting on the front row and just went to church. And so it was nice last week. I didn't even hit the stage, didn't even do anything. I just went to church. And guess what? I like going to Celebration Church. And uh, I enjoyed it. And then the second service, I got to hang out in the different departments and spend some time in the nursery and our kids' church and with our tech guys and, and get a feel for all of what's happening over there. And, and, um, and of course, we talked about unstuck forgiveness, and that's one of the places, man, that we can just find ourselves stuck. There's so many different places, and, and I've had some conversations with some people this week that it feels like everywhere you turn, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get some traction here. Nope. I'm going to get some traction here. Nope. I'm going to get some traction here. Nope. And then you just want to pull your hair out and scream because it feels like every which way you turn, you're getting stuck. So guess what? We're going to lean into God's word and press in a little more to see what it looks like to be unstuck together. <clears throat> We've been looking at this concept over and over again that knowing that God loves us helps us to go to him when we're stuck. Now, folks, We've got to get this down. That's why we keep saying this over and over and over again. We have to know, know, know that God loves us. We have to know that he loves us. And that has to become our paradigm for life. That has to become our life filter. That God loves us. God's for us. And then based on that, we deal with life. If we take that piece out or we try to slip it in somewhere else, We'll begin to to do life wrong. But when we recognize that God so loved us that he sent his son. And we have the paradigm of his love for us. Begin to be our life view and our life model. Then we can begin to navigate life differently. And one of those things is going to him when we're stuck. Going to him when we find these these difficult spots. And we've looked at Hebrews chapter 4 every week. You're beginning to be very familiar with it. It says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. He understands. So many times we think that God's just sneering down his his holy nose at us and doesn't understand the struggles that we deal with. God gets it. He empathizes with our weaknesses. That goes on to say that we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are and yet didn't sin. He was tempted. Jesus was tempted in everything. He was human. He dealt with the same stuff but navigated it, made the decisions, walked through the processes, dealt with people, dealt with institutions, and dealt with it all without sin. So guess what? When you and I hit a place where we hit a a struggle, whatever that struggle is in life, we can go to Him with it, and God will lead us and guide us how to deal with that without it leading us into a place of sin, of creating pain for us and pain for others. That's why the very next verse is so vital. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. In our small groups, one, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had our small groups discuss the question, what does it look like to approach God's throne 
with confidence. Man, recognizing that God loves us allows us to go to Him and, and know that He's for us, that He's with us. It says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, as we go to God, we have to recognize that God has some go-to things that He does in our lives. And one of those things, when we get stuck, God rallies the body of Christ. He always does. He brings in. Now, it makes sense, right? Right? If my kids were to come and talk to, to Daddy, the head, right, and say, Daddy, I need some money for this, then I'd go, okay, you can have some. They would expect that Daddy's hand would now begin to reach into Daddy's pocket and begin to do something and pull something out and hand it to him. If all that just happens right here, not much is taking place for them. They get, the, they get the agreement, but the rest of the action is not taking place. The rest of the action happens with the body. Cutie will call out and say, Bran! Bran! And that can find its way through any corner of our home. And I know that I need to go over to her. There are times I will try to do the thing and say, what? And try to get the information to see if maybe I need something that's near me before I go to her instead. But no, I know what she wants. That means, Bran, get up off your rear and come to me now. But she says that whole sentence with Bran. And so... I get up and go, she ain't here, is she? No, good. And so, and, uh, and so, and I, anyways, and so I know that she's expecting a response from all of me. She's expecting a response that my feet will begin to move and I will begin to engage. Folks, when we go to God, we ought to recognize that part of Him when we, when we pray, that part of His response is going to be His body Moving. You and I are called the body of Christ. You and I are. So that's why we have to understand that God often uses other Christ followers to help us get unstuck. God often does. So many different times it's Him connecting us with other people. Now, Cutie and I were out of town, um, not last week, but the week before. And so we went to a training. We as a church are going to host um, a leadership summit um, with some of just the, uh, some amazing leaders in August. And we had to go and get trained for that. And man, they twisted our arm and they forced us to have to go to Clearwater Beach, Florida. I mean, my goodness, somebody had to go do it. And so, so we were there and just outside of Tampa, and it was beautiful. But I'd never been to Tampa, never been to Clearwater Beach, never been to that part of the world. And so we <clears throat> fly into Tampa. We stay there in, in Tampa the first night, have to be at Clearwater the next day. And so we're just, um, you know, just kind of enjoying Tampa. We've got a few hours to do that. And I had never used this newfangled thing called Uber. I have never, had never used Uber. So I downloaded Uber and got my Uber account. And um, so some poor guy said yes to me. I had no profile picture and no history. And some guy decided he was actually going to come pick me up. 
And so, but, uh, so I do the Uber thing. We get in the car, Cutie and I, and Cutie's like got her finger on her pepper spray, like totally ready to hammer this poor guy. And, and so she's like, I've heard bad things about Uber. And, um, and so we get in the car and we go down to the beautiful river walk in Tampa and enjoy that and come back. Well, I was seeing, because we had to go a little bit further. We had to go... <clears throat> about 25 miles away to where we were going to stay. And I was like, how much is this going to cost me? So I had checked the previous night and knew that that Uber ride was going to be about $27. And I'm like, okay, that's what that's going to be. That's a lot cheaper than a taxi, so that's what we're going to do. So we get ready to do that the next, <clears throat> the next day. So I go ahead and go to get the Uber, put in the location, and I wanted to make sure I was right. So I put in the name of the hotel. And I put in the name of the hotel, and I said, yeah, and it starts to pull it up. It has a little auto fill, and I hit the little button, and I'm like, yep, that's the one. And it tells me it's going to be $79. I'm like, 79 bucks? We should have gone last night. It was $27 last night. <laughs> and so I was like, man, this is, this is messed up. So then I undo it, and I do it again. Maybe I did something wrong, or maybe I'll try again. And it was like pretty close to $79 again. And I was like, well, it is kind of rush hour. And I know they said that there's only one bridge in there and the traffic gets bad. And maybe it's based on the traffic and all of that. And I'm like, oh, well, we got to get there. I'm supposed to be there in a couple hours. Boop, let's go. And I hit the little, hit the little button and it says we're going to go. So the, sure enough, the Toyota Corolla pulls up and we... Get our in the, no, it was a van. This guy was a van. Sorry. The others were all Toyotas and type stuff. Anyways, this guy's a va- in a van. He loads us up. Super nice guy. Loads us up into his car. We go to pull out of that hotel. And he says, so, uh, tell, me, tell me where you're going. And I'm like, I put it in the app. You're supposed to know. This is creeping me out. And I'm like, we're already in his car driving down the road. And I'm like, "Um, we're going to Clearwater. And he's like, oh, I was wondering why we were driving an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm like, what? He said, yeah, this says that we're going to Orlando. And I was like, "Um, no. Well, what I didn't catch is that there was an exact name hotel in Orlando as there was in Clearwater Beach. And I poked the wrong one. And we were in that. And had that guy not opened his mouth. And questioned whether or not. I should have been taking an Uber ride. An hour and 45 minutes away. We would have found ourselves in Orlando. With our bags going. Dude. Seriously. What did you do to us here? And totally been late for our conference and messed everything up. But I, and after that, I just kept, I kept telling that guy over and over as we were driving out to our hotel, thank you for asking me. He's like, oh, it's, it's fine. I'm no, no, seriously, man. Thank you for clarifying this. I was headed completely in the wrong direction, going to spend way too much. It would cost me another 80 bucks just to get back where I was to then turn around and then head in the right direction. And my wife would not have been happy. I guarantee that would have tainted the whole week. It would have messed everything up. But I was so thankful. I was so thankful that somebody, a human, said, Are you sure you want to do this? 
Is this really what we're about? Is this really where we're going? And man, had somebody not stepped in and intervened, we'd have gone completely the wrong direction. Man, God does this in so many different areas. This is why we need life-giving, direct, <coughs> life-giving relationships in our lives. Because sometimes we just need somebody to say, Okay, tell me your thoughts about this decision. Tell me why you're going in this direction. And maybe you know, and maybe there's a good reason, and maybe you don't. Maybe you thought, well, I think it's going to get me here. I think it's going to, and they're like, no, it is not. Let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at the word. That decision is not going to take you where you think it's going to take you. The scriptures say that's going to be an entirely different destination. And we need people in our lives that God will speak to and act through to help us along the way. Let's go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 3. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, watch this, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Folks, you and I can't get how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ by ourselves. We can't get it. We won't get it. We need each other. We need each other because guess what? It's too big. I see this much of it, and I think it's amazing. And guess what? I talk to you over here, and you're seeing this much of it, and it's amazing. I talk to the person on the other side of me, and they're seeing this much of it. And maybe there's some overlap here, and there's some overlap there. But, man, God's love and his grace is so big. The work that he is doing is so amazing. You and I can't get it. By ourselves. One of the things that I absolutely love about being a pastor, and I wish that there was some way I could plug everybody into this, but I get a front row seat into so many different people's lives and struggles and wins. I get to see the grace of God, and I get to step in alongside, and people invite me in, and I look over their shoulder, and I see God at work here, and I'm like, oh, Lord. How amazing, how big and wide. It's even bigger than I thought. And then I get invited into another person's life and we're talking and we're praying through situations and tough deals and we see, wow, this is amazing. And I get to see it through your eyes and through different lenses over and over again. And I'm telling you, God's love is so big. This is why your testimony is so important. Because guess what? God has carried you through things he's never carried me through. There are things I've never had to deal with. Maybe, maybe you're here dealing with addiction. Maybe you're here dealing with some different things. There are th- those things I've not personally dealt with. But I can tell you what, I can plug you into some people who've been in some really dark, ugly places and seen God walk them out of it and been faithful. I've seen people whose marriages were trashed and it was over and God walked them through and their marriage is better than they ever dreamed it could have been in the first place. Before the tragedy and before the pain and all of those different things. It's big, but we don't get it. We don't get the fullness of it if we just want to be by ourselves and say, I just, I just need my little view of God. He goes on to say, and to know this love 
that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. And I can't get it by myself. So how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? That almost doesn't even make sense. Knowledge is stuff you know. So how do you know something that goes past the stuff you know? Folks, you and I do it all the time. It's called we experience it. We experience it. You and I have had experience in our, our lives that you cannot explain. You hear about somebody who's pregnant with their first child, and you're like, oh, it's going to change your world. I, I can't tell you. I can't put it into it, but it's amazing. It's amazing. I've had grandparents tell me that about being grandparents, that being a parent is awesome, but being grandparents is totally different. I've not experienced that. One day I will. I've got seven kids. Somebody's going to have a kid one day. <laughs> it's going to happen. And there will be one of those things I will understand it and get that same experience and be able to experience something that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's, where's this being built up in love coming from? It's coming from the body of Christ doing its work. This is why fellowship and connecting are so important. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a three-strand cord is not quickly broken. There is this strength that comes together as you and I genuinely connect. And folks, as much as this Sunday morning there is a place of connection, folks, you and I, to really connect, we need to be able to have some give and take. We need to be able to talk. We need to be able to share. We need to be able to ask questions. And that's why small groups are so important. And we have some on the back of your bulletin. We have a small group that meets here on Wednesday nights. If you're uncomfortable stepping into somebody's house, I get that that could be a little unnerving. We've got a small group led by Stephen Laurie Whitaker that meets here on Wednesday nights. And that's on the back of the bulletin as well. But I'm going to tell you, you need to be able to connect and grow and talk to somebody. Begin to, to share and invite them into your life. That's where things really begin to shift and so right now, I want everybody who's using their little version app, we've got a poll. And so if you've got that open, or maybe you're at home watching live right now because the spring forward caught you. And so, and you're there right now. I know you're liking this right now. You're loving it on there on the Facebook. And so, and uh, anyways, I want you also to participate in this poll. And right now, here's our, here's our question. Our question is, is how, there it goes, how many people 
with whom you have weekly contact can you go to for personal prayer and Christ-focused guidance? Now, these are people that you have regular weekly contact that you can go to for prayer, that you know this person would pray for you right there, pray for you, and give you Christ-focused guidance, that you have a question and they're going to, the, the counsel they give you is going to be focused on what God has to say. Do you have nobody? There may be people who don't, you're new to this deal. You don't have anybody yet. One to two, praise God, you've got some people in your life. Three to five, six plus. And just quickly answer that. We're going to look at the results here in just a little bit. But if you could just quickly answer that. Because folks, this, this idea of fellowship it's vital to our growth because you and I were created for community. See, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And any wife who's come back from a weekend trip and sees the house says, It's not good for the man to be alone. It is a wreck. Lord, help him. And so... But this is before Adam went sideways. This is before sin came into humanity. Everything is perfect, folks. Everything is perfect. God is creating and says it's good. He's creating and says it's good. He creates man and says it's very good. And then just a little bit later, he says it's not good. It's not good to be alone. It's not good. And here, if you keep reading there in Genesis chapter 2, God recognizes this. And you know what God does next? He doesn't just all of a sudden jump to the solution. You would think God would jump to the solution. It's not good. And you would think God jumps to the solution. What does God do? You read the scripture. The very next thing, God brings all the animals in front of Adam. Brings all of them. And he begins to name them. And after Adam has surveyed all of creation, Adam recognizes there's nobody like him. Adam recognizes his own need. And that was when, when Adam saw that, he, that it was not good for him to be alone, that was when he was put into the deep sleep. God reached into his rib and fashioned a woman. And fashioned a woman for him. But so there was this period where God recognized that something wasn't good. And he left a space for Adam to recognize it himself. Folks, God knows that we have this need for fellowship. But you need to see it. Why? Because you have to embrace it. Fellowship can't be forced on you. You ever try to hang out with a teenager that doesn't want to hang out with you? You can't force it. They can be sitting next to you and far, far away at the same time. You can't force it. We can't force fellowship. We can't do it. You have to embrace it and see that it's there. Ephesians chapter 2 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. 
Romans chapter 12 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we all, <coughs> we who are many from one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here's where we get sideways. As we begin to think wrongly, of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. We think too little of ourselves. We think, well, what can God really do through me? Or what can God really do through them? I tell you what, this was my, one of my biggest challenges whenever we were traveling in 2008. When we sold all of our real estate here and we loaded up in a motorhome and Cutie and I and the kids were traveling around and we were visiting churches and and as I was choosing what churches I wanted to go to, I'd, I'd hear about, and we just, we said we're not going to look at denominational names. We're just going to not let that bother us. We made that decision on top. We said wherever disciples are being made, we want to go learn from them. And so we did. And I thought that I was being, I thought I was being pretty magnanimous about the whole thing. And I thought I was being very understanding. And man, there were still these places of just, spiritual bigotry that were just inside my heart that I did not even know were there. And there were places and groups of believers that I had pushed out and felt like I, didn't, I just didn't need their thoughts or what they, had, what they could bring to the table, that there was no way that they were going to help me along, which sounds terrible, but that was what I had inwardly thought. If you'd asked me straight up, I'd have said no. But it was in there, and it wasn't until I was confronted with it that it became a realization. And so God backdoored me. And there would be, and he did it to this, me this over and over again. And there was one particular church that we went to, and it, it was phenomenal. It's just a huge church. It's just grown even more than when we were there. It has massive influence around the nation, and their senior pastors, highly influential guy, and, and his assistant. Um, was a friend of ours, and so we got inroads to there, and then her husband was a good friend of ours, and so her husband, you know, part of this big church and this mind flow and this, this thought flow that I, that I really connected with, and he's like, hey, I want you to come meet my spiritual father, and he's the, the leader of the seminary, and I'm like, fantastic, let's go. Well, he ends up accidentally driving me to the back entrance. He didn't go where the big sign is. He goes to the back entrance, and we go up, and we go into this guy's office, and we're talking, and we're sitting in this dude's office, and he's got all his stuff on the walls and books, and he's got some airplane stuff, and we're both pilots, and we're talking airplane stuff, and, and then they were offering some really amazing training for pastors to be able to get their, their master's and their doctorate and be able to do it in a real non-traditional way, and they were pulling in all of these heavy hitters a real diverse group of people to come and teach real specialized topics. And I was like, man, this is innovative. This is, this is awesome. So we have this great conversation, and then we end up, at the end of it, I go to talk to this guy's son, and they find out that they had launched a church and had just kicked the doors open on it a few weeks ago, and they had had like 400 people at this church the very first Sunday. And I was like, man, that's incredible. He's like, well, my dad's kind of a big deal in our denomination. And I was like, oh, okay, what denomination? And then he drops it on me. And I was like, okay, I'm learning from them. 
what? And man, and I was just like, no. No, and then I just wanted to get in the car and cry. I was like, God, I'm sorry. This is not who I thought they were. This is not who I thought they were. And I thought they were some far extreme, super legalistic, messed up group of believers that got way off track. And Lord, they're doing some pretty cool stuff. And I'm, I'm sorry I had isolated myself from my brothers and sisters in Christ. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Glad that's over. Whew. All right. I'm clean. I'm good. Awesome. I'm good now. Man, I'd get caught again. Somebody would drag me to some place, and I, there would be something, some place of unforgiveness, some deal. I got taken to a church of a, a televangelist that I had watched when I was a kid who had really fallen massively, spectacularly in front of a national audience. I mean, just horrible moral failure. And, man, I just didn't want anything to do with this. And a friend of mine ends up twisting my arm and getting me there. And I end up having this restorative moment that I end up in this back hallway with this nationally known guy. And he's there with his bodyguards. And he ends up sticking his hand out to me and shakes my hand. I shake his hand. And all this unforgiveness and anger that I had carried in me towards this man just, and just, it just left. And all it was was a greeting. But I had to let go of all of that stuff to stick my hand out. And I had isolated myself from pieces of the body of Christ. Does everybody do everything right? No. No, no. But those who are alive in Christ are alive in Christ. And folks, you and I can sometimes cut ourselves off from our miracle, from what God reaching his hand out to us through his body and we go nope that's not the hand I want it's not the one I want God used a different hand He's like, that one's mine I'm sticking it out and I want to help you folks on so many different places on so many different places we've got to let God move in our lives and we will stay stuck and have pushed God away when he's trying to answer our prayers Matthew 18, 20. It says, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. There's this place, and I need to be done. My goodness. Life-giving relationships must be a priority. Acts chapter 2 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with sincere gladness. Every day. Every day. Our poll asked... How many times a week? But here we see the early church. They were connecting every day. Let's go ahead and let's see our results. Let's see what it looks like for us. Were we able to do it? We've never done this before. Y'all are the guinea pigs. And I'll keep going. And when it shows up, it shows up. Acts 20.20 says, you know that I have not hesitated. Just put it up whenever you've got it. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you both publicly and house to house. This is a public place. But folks, there's also a place, there's also a spot where you ought to, your house ought to be a place of learning. We see 
folks, there's some, there some people either at home watching on version or on Facebook who don't have anybody to be able to get prayer with and to be able to get some, some guidance. A big chunk of us only have one or two, and praise God that we have one or two. That's awesome. I guarantee you, hang on to those relationships. Pour your energy in relationships. Folks, if you take anybody out to lunch this week, be it, one, be it those one or two, keep those relationships strong. Because I guarantee you, God, when it's time for him to reach out to you, it's probably going to be through those one or two. Man, maybe it's three to five. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. But there's only about a third of us who feel like it's six plus. There's only about a third of us. See, the Bible says that through the multitude of counsel, there is safety. I want to build my life in such a way that I've got lots of people to draw from and lots of people to connect with. It's real easy to build a narrow life. It takes a lot more love and a lot more forgiveness and a lot more stuff to build a broad life, to build a life that invites a lot of people into it. Hebrews 10, we're wrapping it up here. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and let us not give up meeting together if some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, our bottom line today is God makes us better together. That's how he does it. He does it together. God loves us enough, folks, to meet us right where we are. and He loves us enough to not leave us there. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.